0: Naturally, capital is going to flow into Bitcoin, and that's why this winner-take-all mentality starts to arise. At the moment, there's still just not enough public knowledge, there's not enough recognition for the difference between Bitcoin and crypto, which is why a lot of money still flows into the, the, the crypto sphere in general.
1: This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Ladies and gents, welcome into Blue Collar Bitcoin. It is that time of the month again. Time for Bitcoin Basics. This is episode number seven in this introductory series covering the fundamentals of Bitcoin. If you've missed any of it, we have the whole series, past and future, linked down in the show notes. This time, our topic is Bitcoin, not crypto. We're joined once again by the usual Daz B from North Queensland, Australia, and Seb Bunny from British Columbia in Canada. I'm going to start out by saying that at this date and time, the four of us view Bitcoin as one of the most pristine assets ever discovered, and something that should be strongly considered in every single portfolio. On the other hand, we view the rest of the crypto space as hollow, non-transparent, full of deception, and at the very least, extremely risky. In our opinion, Bitcoin is potentially solving one of the world's biggest issues in the digital age, and crypto is largely useless, a flimsy solution in need of a problem. In the land of cryptocurrency and blockchain, decentralization is everything, and there are very few applications where a cumbersome, inefficient, and redundant globally distributed ledger are necessary. The base layer of money is such an application, and it seems Bitcoin is winning and may continue to utterly dominate in that sphere. Strap in, folks, because we'll unpack the details behind these claims and much, much more during this conversation. And when it comes to being Bitcoin-focused, well, pick a hardware wallet that's Bitcoin-focused. With all the mayhem and snake oil out there in crypto and banking, it's more important than ever that you get your Bitcoin off exchanges and into self-custody. Both Josh and myself, Dan, have for a long time chosen the cold card made by CoinKite. The cold card is Bitcoin-only no shit coins allowed inside. And it's easy to use. Fit for newcomers, but full of optional features for more advanced users. Secure your Bitcoin properly and snooze like a sloth on vacation, knowing that your hard-earned capital is fully reserved. Visit our affiliate link down in the notes for discounts on a variety of CoinKite products, also including the BlockLock. And while you're there checking out with a cold card, try code BCB, that's code BCB, and see what happens. Oh, doggies. It's Bitcoin Basics episode, what is this, number seven? this is seven, yeah. Yeah, this is going to be some hungry hounds in a butcher shop full of fresh meat because we are talking Bitcoin, not crypto. We're going to do some shitcoin crypto lambasting over the next hour and a half. Daz, Seb, as always, delighted to have you in the studio. How are you two fine
0: gentlemen? Pleasure, boys. Doing good? Ah, It's always good to be back, guys. This is a highlight of the month, so I'm pumped to chat.
2: Dude, I don't know if you guys saw last night. I threw a brisket on the smoker, like uh, about eight o'clock last night. And CK, I put it on Twitter. CK was like, "Dude, you're gonna be up all night." And I was like, "No, it's good. I'm gonna, you know, this thing just goes on autopilot. It's no big deal." I was up. I feel like I spent a shitty night at the firehouse last night, Dan, because I was up like, like every other hour because this thing just wouldn't hit the spot I needed it to to wrap it. So I was up at like one, three, five. Like it was just. I'm, I'm just fucking exhausted right now. It's gonna be worth it though. Brisket's are like a
3: knee bone.
1: The irony there is that I was on the ambulance last night at work and I slept like a freaking baby straight through the night, no calls. We have had a string of luck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's been, I think it's been good at our station. It has. And, and the tower ladder went out once I was on the ambulance, which is even better. It's like that wake one wake up call in the night that reminds you that those guys have to go work and you get to just roll back over. Get
2: comfortable in that pillow, pull the, pull the covers up tight, and go back to sleep. You do the same thing I do Like when you think you had a call and you're like, I'm not 100% sure, so I'm going to go back to sleep. Somebody will wake me up. <laughs> <If> it, <laughs> I've done it multiple times. I'm just like, I'm pretty sure that's not me. I'm going back to bed. Someone's no one's banging on the door like, hey, man, get up. We have to go. The problem, guys,
1: is when these tones go off, if you're in a deep REM, you miss the first half of the tones.
0: So it's like... I don't beep. know how you guys... I don't know what your tone is. I was dating this uh, this chick who was a paramedic. When that thing goes off, I almost have a heart attack every single time. And oh, dude, your heart rate! I can never date a paramedic yeah. or anyone, policeman, fireman, nothing.
1: The nice thing is we we don't carry pagers when we're not at work. We're the way it, for us as career firefighters in a you know fairly popu- populous municipal area when we're off duty, we're totally off. There's no responsibility to respond. So it's only every third day. You get kind of used to it. I mean, there's no, there's many wonderful parts of this career. In a lot of ways, the schedule is fantastic. The the, the one trade-off is you got to run calls in the middle of the night. And no matter how long you do it, they don't get easier. They suck every single time. But Josh, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're the same. When the tones drop in the middle of the night, I just say to myself, this is why we get what we get.
2: This is why we get a lot of time off and, and some other. Yeah. Well, there's guys, there's guys we work with that like throw temper tantrums in the middle of the night. Like what the fuck? Like, and it's understandable. Like everyone has that initial, like, God damn it. I don't want to, I don't want to fucking do this right now, but you just like suck it up and do it. You don't throw a tantrum like a toddler. You see guys do that. And then that's what reminds me to be like, be a up. Like, just go do your job. Don't be a toddler because you look like an asshole when you act like that in front of everybody. So it happens. It happens a lot, though.
1: Throwing a temper tantrum as a firefighter paramedic when the tones drop is equivalent to like an accountant <laughs> getting pissed every time every time tax season comes around. It's like this is what you signed up for, motherfucker. Yep,
2: absolutely.
0: You know what? I was talking to my buddy the other day, and this is probably a episode that's not safe for work now. But um, I was talking to my buddy. He's a paramedic, and he gets this call out, and so he turns up at this guy's house, and of course, when Someone calls the paramedic or the fire department and usually assume that it's something like serious. The guy answers the door and he's like, hey, how's it going? My buddy's like, "Did you call the paramedic? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need some help with something. He's like, what do you need help with? And he was just like, my wife is going to be back in like 30 minutes time. And I was playing around with the kitchen candle. The kitchen candle's now gone. And uh, can you just help me pull it out for a second? And it is <laughs> not one of the long ones. It's one of the like wide, short it's ones. Girthy candle. And it's gone. And he's just like, Nope. I'm gonna have to take you to the hospital for that. And he was like, My wife's gonna be back in half an hour. What am I gonna tell her? And he was just like, I Should have thought All about right, that man. before you did that. <laughs> and so You're
2: gonna have to explain this to her. I'm sure you guys get calls like that. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish with this story here. We had a guy called 911. He was at a liquor store, he was high on Coke and heroin the other night at like nine PM. He calls nine one one himself and says, I, I feel like I'm gonna vomit. I don't feel well. We show up, we're looking for this guy. He's walking around, ignoring us while on the phone with dispatch still. We get him in the ambulance and he calls his mom. He's explaining what's going on. He's like, I'm so embarrassed. And then he thinks he hangs up with her, puts it down. And then we're asking him like, dude, what did you do? He's, we don't care. We're, you're not in trouble. Just tell us what drugs you took so we can fix this. Right? So he's like, oh, I did Coke and heroin. And he's like, he looks at his phone and realizes his mom is still listening. He's like, he hangs up on her. And he was just like, I am full of shame. I have shame. <laughs> I've shamed my family. That's karma. <laughs> That's not, That's we were karma. dying driving this guy to the hospital. People open up like
1: flowers once the cops are out of the ambulance cuz our police respond to most calls with us making sure we're safe. They're often in the back of the ambulance in the beginning in a drug-related issue, then they exit and we're like real talk now. We're the paramedics. What's up? And they just just open up. <laughs> they bloom like springtime. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> um okay, getting into this topic cuz there's a lot that we could cover. I'm just going to start this way and then I'll throw it to you, hyenas. We are going to talk some serious shit, okay, in this episode. But I want to do so cautiously because if you are someone that's interested in the crypto ecosystem and you own a bunch of different coins, at least I'm speaking for Josh and myself, we've been there. We used to own a bunch of different stuff. I had Tron, I had XRP, I had Ethereum early on in my... Exploration of Bitcoin. Bitcoin was always the main event for me. It's the the first position I took, the largest position I took, all this stuff was on the side. But I had the diversified portfolio theory of crypto just as I do in my equity portfolio and other things, thinking that hey, there can't possibly be one winner here. You need, you know, spatterings of different things. I just say this off the top because we want to be reasonable, we want to be gracious, and the, the trajectory for many. People that land on Bitcoin primarily, it, it, it rarely starts there. People explore, people gallivant, and then
2: they realize who they really want to settle down with. Josh is the same way. I don't know if your story is the same, Daz and Sab. or. Oh, so yeah, I was going to say, I mean, we obviously know each other's stories. We were there for the whole thing, but um, I totally agree. And it's just part of the human psyche to not only want to spread the risk around, which a lot of people view in the cryptocurrency space as like, let's spread the risk between 20 different coins because I don't know what's going to pop off, but it's also a deeper fundamental thing, which is why people gamble. It's that they think they're going to be the one that gets, you know, that hundred X that's going to pay off and they're going to retire. It's that survivorship bias that shows up from that one guy on Twitter that says that, Mm -hmm. you know, he retired because he bought verge at 10th of a cent and it went to 30 cents and he sold it and made millions of dollars for every one of those stories. There's thousands of people that lost everything that they put in. So just keep that in mind. The survivorship bias is a huge factor in this. And it's also that human innate structure for wanting to gamble because gambling is fun. It pays off very few times, but when it does pay off, it looks really great. Also, just like gambling, keep in mind that the people that that, uh, brag that they've made it big, very likely they didn't make it as big as they claim they did. They just just want to look like they won. So just keep that in the back of your head as well.
3: Yeah, my journey was very similar to you boys, so... Um, luckily found Bitcoin first, made that you know, it was always at least eighty five percent of my whole position, but then yeah, used another sort of ten, fifteen percent at, at times to quote unquote diversify my risk, right? And um I'll I'll get into where I s where I started to to shift that mentality a bit later in the episode. But yeah, um I, I agree with everything you guys have said. It's it's part of that human psyche, right? It's like, well, why, why can't I be the guy that gets on the thousand X coin and all this sort of um, sort of thing and, and the, the more time you spend in that space trying to navigate, it's, it's, it's pretty, there's some pretty clear flags to say what most of those are scams which we'll dive right into today with many examples I can, I can sort of give you around why that, that thesis sort of remains true but very similar, I think it's, uh, you know, most people are, are, are going to go down that that path of dabbling. Um, you know, and and ultimately it is just exactly what you guys highlighted. Most of it is just gambling. Sub, did you ever
2: what kind of shit coins did you own back in the day All Sub? of them.
0: Every or single one of them. You may if I had. D so Sub <laughs> was a D gen. I, I came from the traditional <laughs> financial background. And so like I traded futures for a long time and and equity markets and again like real estate and so on. And so I very much exactly as you guys said, I very much understood the diversified portfolio in order to kind of spread risk. And so when I started entering into the, the crypto sphere, I was immediately drawn to Bitcoin. Bitcoin is what kind of made me realize, hey, there's this thing that is a digital gold, and that's kind of what drew me into the space. But then if, exactly as you guys kind of said, you get all of these like glimmering, shiny objects, and suddenly your attention is kind of drawn over to those things. So although Bitcoin has always been my uh, majority holding, especially what well, it is now, it's my uh, only holding, but back in the days when it was, it was still my majority holding and I had a small allocation to other coins, what it took me a long time to really realize is that diversification in crypto versus diversification in equities is very, very different. And I say that in that mm. diversification in equities, although I tend to support a free market, equities have gone through a lot of regulation in order to get to where they are. And to be able to trade them publicly, they go through a lot of like, whether it's accountancy regulation, whether it is just uh, to be a public company, you got to go through friggin' countless steps in order to be able to meet the like pretty strenuous requirements and so on. And so, the way that I kind of view it is that there is far less risk in investing in equities given the amount of steps they have to go through. Whereas, when you're looking at most uh, cryptos out there, all of these other altcoins, the problem is they're unreg- unregistered securities. There is zero regulation in this market. And so, Although I would never say that uh, there is going to be zero, absolutely zero value created in the altcoin space, I can tell you for certain that the majority, if like 99% of it, is just going to go to zero because many times people have alternative intentions, they're trying to kind of shield their own coin to make money and in the end it incentivizes poor behavior and risk taking. And so as I kind of went through my journey I kind of trended more towards Bitcoin because I realized that diversifying in Bitcoin And then what diversifying crypto versus diversifying equities are two very, very different things. There's no regulation in crypto. There's significant regulation in equities. So
2: while we're on the topic of talking about or confessing our shitcoin past, Dom Bay had this idea, which I think is hilarious. And he brought it to Corey uh, about having a confession booth at Pacific Bitcoin for people to go into (laughs) (laughs) and confess their shitcoin sins from the past. And I was laughing my ass off when I saw this tweet. Like between the two of them, it was it was it's seriously hilarious. I and mean, like the idea was basically like who should be in the booth? Who's the person that should be the parishioner, the priest that should be receiving and blessing you, and t- telling you to do how many Hail Marys to do for bi- for your shitcoin past. I think Max Kaiser was winning the poll. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's fit for it. He is. <laughs> yeah,
3: just see those orange shoes under the robe. I would have thought Jeff Booth in the booth, right? Because he's that calming influence. He he was one of those
2: as well. The booth. What
3: happens in the booth stays in the booth. You know, everybody goes through it, you know.
1: I was going to make a blanket statement off the top for more of the newcomer that is a little confused here in the first 12 minutes of our discussion. What are you guys talking about? Bitcoin is crypto. Is it at all the same thing? In our view, in our humble opinions, it's not whatsoever. I want to be a little bit nuanced in that position. I'm not set anywhere in my worldview, and a lot of new evidence could come. But based on what we've seen in the first, you know, roughly 15 years of this project, is that one thing has profound usefulness and plugs into the 21st century marvelously, filling very deep, important needs in society and monetary systems. And the rest of it, is extremely vapid. I would say if I was to summarize this just a one-line teaser for for someone it's to me bitcoin is I'm going to go ahead and use the word necessity as at least a small hedge position in everyone's portfolio and these other crypto tokens are damn close to the last place I would ever allocate my hard-earned capital. Most of the rest of crypto is useless, opaque, full of leverage, Scammy, tons of foul play. In many regards, it is the exact opposite of Bitcoin, both in architecture and principle. And this is what we have called on this show Bitcoin camouflage, because Bitcoin's conflation with the rest of crypto is part of the reason that it ducks for cover every four years. You have this massive bull run and all these totally ridiculously stupid projects and celebrities going on Super Bowl ads. The whole thing implodes. Everybody thinks Bitcoin went down with the ship. And it didn't. It's just slithering under the surface like an angry dolphin, ready to, ready to emerge again. And uh, <laughs> that's kind of the phase we're in right now. But for, in a lot of people's minds that haven't taken the, the five, 10, 20 hours to study this, the two are, are meshed together. And in a lot of ways, that's camouflage and reasons for the volatility and cyclicality of the Bitcoin price.
0: It's really interesting as well, because when we hear about cryptocurrencies, that's very much like a misnomer many of these things, like when you actually look into however many cryptocurrencies are out there, I think the last time I checked, there was something like 20,000 or something like that. So out of these 20,000 cryptocurrencies, very few of them are actually trying to even compete with Bitcoin. Many of them are just trying to do all of these other things. And the reality is that the basis of cryptocurrencies, which tends to be blockchain, which is obviously what Bitcoin is kind of built up blockchain, the whole role of blockchain is to create a decentralized ledger. And if you think about what a decentralized ledger really means, it's like, well, we want to remove it from a centralized party. We want to remove power from a centralized party. Yet when you look at all of these altcoins, you realize that actually most of them are governed by a centralized party. So you're basically expending all of this energy trying to do this thing, you're not even mm-hmm. doing. And so I think it's really important just yeah. to note that we're paying for a centralized party to do this thing that many times we can get for free in a centralized party that, well, I don't know, you can just use PayPal.
2: Yeah, it's a huge fugazi. Uh I I think it was like 2017 or 2018 when this whole blockchain not Bitcoin thing was a Mm -hmm. was prominent. And it was like, oh, we're gonna use a blockchain for our chain of custody for X, Y, or Z, or IBM's gonna use it for this, or but the thing that you really have to understand is that the blockchain is an extremely expensive to operate SQL or like database. There's nothing so far that we have found besides tracking monetary goods, i.e. Bitcoin, that is actually This is actually useful for because in every one of the other contexts where you use a blockchain quote unquote to track shipments or to track whatever it is, somebody else has to, from the outside world, has to say, yes, that's a verified truth. The reason that blockchain exists is because in the digital realm, Bitcoin can verify truth innately on its own blockchain because of the miners and because of the nodes and because everything works in concert for this to happen together. Whenever you're going outside of that world. Or they're using oracles, which is an outside the blockchain confirmation that something is true. You're negating the entire point of this because having it truth on the blockchain is the whole point. Otherwise, it's full of holes. It's just a leaking ship and it doesn't work. I think, what you, I think
1: I'm accurate in using this terminology. Bitcoin verifies time and truth, you could say, endogenously. Most other protocols, especially proof of stake protocols, rely on some sort of exogenous source, often another yes. proof, of, proof of work protocol, i.e., Bitcoin or some centralized timekeeper or oracle or whatever to verify truth. That's that's what's. It's a very deep topic, maybe beyond the scope of this, but that's what's so incredible about the Bitcoin protocol. A piece we've hinted at a few times on this show, which I'll mention again, is Gigi's article "Bitcoin is Time," and it talks about. Bitcoin's internal timekeeping and an
2: endogenous truth keeping, I guess is a way I would put it. We'll link that in the notes. American Hoddle had a good point with Preston. I think it was just last week he was on. I was gonna said, bring that up, I'll share. Yeah. Basically the point that he was making was this is a VC wet dream. Like they had the ability, like VCs generally in Silicon Valley, what they've done traditionally for the last 50 years is make a series of bets that are gonna take 10, 15 years to pay off. And most of them of them are going to fail, but they found a cheat code here with this token structure where they can take all of the risk off of their own shoulders. They can put the risk on the market and all these retail investors that have gotten burned over the last four years. And these two cycles where this has happened have finally wised up, have gotten burned enough. And the sec stepping in is obviously, uh, you know, tossing all kinds of mud into the ring as well, but they basically took all of their own VC risk off their own shoulders put it on retail investors, and they were able to cash in and win on every single one of these. So seeing how the sausage is made behind the scenes in the VC world, and it's no wonder that these people are such proponents of creating a new regulatory agency that's going to be a proponent for them creating tokens out of nothing. It's straight Ponzi scheme stuff.
3: Just, just to elaborate on that point was um, in that VC world, um, the, the, the big carrot there was like when, when, when v, you know, a new venture sort of kicked off, Basically, that whole environment was pushing back on the fact that you didn't have a token. So you you might not have um, had any use of a token, right? But if you wanted liquidity, basically the 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 gist was you need to come up with a token because we can basically plug you into liquidity from day one uh, using using dumb retail investors. Unfortunately, like that's a really loaded term, and I I don't mean to call anybody dumb by the stretch of the imagination, but that's generally how we are viewed, us wage earners who uh you know have are are keen to roll the dice in this gambling environment they are using you as liquidity um and that was sort of one of the realization moments for myself was really starting to really question around what the fuck does this token do like why do i own this thing with this token why does there need to be a token and I was actually just at a recent meetup that we that we did in Cairns, where I live here, and uh, a guy come along and was open with some questions, and he was very much questioning the the difference between stocks in in, in tokens. Right? It's like, well, a token is just like a share in a company. Where I was like, just to further to to Seb's point, no, it's absolutely not. There is zero, um, you know, when you own a share in a company, it is actually an ownership right as regulated. As part of you know, you own X percent of that company, so therefore you are theoretically entitled to X percent of the assets, X percent of the you know the dividend, the um, cash flows, all of this sort of thing
1: of a productive entity too.
3: That's actually producing
1: things in the real world.
3: Otherwise, they don't exist, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a really understated point, I think. um, That. They are making widgets, they're making goods, or they're producing, you know, providing services that provides real real value in the real world. Um, and those, theoretically, if there's a dividend at the end, if there's profit at the end, that gets divvied up amongst the shareholders. Not always, but there's a bit of nuance in that. But that's the, the general theory. Whereas with these tokens, there's absolutely zero obligation to share anything with you as a token holder in a lot of these. And this is so where absurd. this terminology called tokenomics has come into play was a whole you know a whole pseudo science around how is it that you frame up tokens to be attractive because we're gonna have to offer something if we're not offering an equity share in this company right so we have to come up with very clever ways around um Making this token seem attractive to, to retail investors and and, and to industry, um, you know, into industry as well, albeit because there's a lot of liquidity sitting on the sidelines that wanted to allocate to this space. So this this whole terminology around tokenomics is like, how do we make it attractive? Do we you know release a couple of trillion of these coins and then and then slowly reduce the pie over time so it's like, um, you know, uh, attractive to people if it's a you know a deflationary. Type of um type of offering and and you come up with all of these various scams with yield farms and staking and all these sort of things in order to prop up a bit of uh, interest in in what you're offering, which is basically Fugazi. It's it's nothing mm. but like there's no claim to anything.
2: It's a, it's actually very akin to the Wolf of Wall Street. The scene when he goes to work for that <laughs> shitty little brokerage that is selling pink sheet stocks, and he's like, "Wait a second! So what are you guys doing here? Is this legal?" And he's like, yeah, so we're selling this stock called Aerodyne. He's like, it's like two guys working in a shed in their mom's backyard, creating whatever. But at least in that situation, there was actually a quote unquote productive company doing something. And when you bought that shitty pink sheet stock, you actually were getting some ownership of some shitty little company that's probably going to fail. But that's orders of magnitude better than most of these tokenomics shit coins that are selling you literally air. And you and you're just you're just speculating that some other idiot is going to, you know, push this thing to five x whatever you purchased it for. It's complete and utter garbage, even worse than the pink sheet crap from Wolf of Wall Street.
0: No, and I think Daz, you brought up a really really good question, which is the question of like when you're investing in these things, what is the purpose of this token? Is this company actually does it even need a token? And I think this is a question we should all ask ourselves, if, especially if we're kind of digging into the crypto world, just because. Humans naturally have a tendency to like. We've even got a meme named after it, FOMO, fear of missing out. We want to chase things which society is kind of running after, and we see this perfect example is like the 2000 tech boom. The moment websites kind of came to be, every single company needed a website, and all of a sudden it's just like, man, we're gonna we're gonna be the next multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar corporation. But in reality, 99% of those companies did not need a website, and the website and or like the internet had not been developed enough to even offer much value to these companies and so what you find is that most of these companies are just adding these technical jargon terms like blockchain in order to kind of draw in capital and the reality is that most of these companies will never need blockchain and it's also important to note that when it comes to decentralization and centralization there are pros to each we don't need to decentralize everything like centralization mm. offers incredible benefits it gives companies the ability to pivot quickly when they realize that they're not hitting their target market it gives uh, them the ability to move against what the majority want because they believe that there is actually an untouched market that the majority have not thought about and so on and so the way i kind of like to think about it is like pets pet smart or pets.com or whatever was one of the big companies that kind of went down through uh the the tech boom and they had a big website and everything but they did their pet store and it's the same thing if, if this pet store decided to kind of this journey just put all of our all of our goods and services on the blockchain, what purpose are they solving? They're solving zero purpose of that, they're a a pet store. And so this is what's happening with most of these altcoins is they're trying to take advantage of this cash phrase called blockchain and they're trying to suck in liquidity and 99.9% of it is gonna go to zero. And unfortunately, you're just gonna lose your money.
1: Mm. so many good points here the last few minutes. I agree, Seb, the dot-com boom and bust is an uncanny parallel to, I think, what we're seeing in crypto. The vast majority, as you said, pets.com, balls.com, we could go down the whole list of those entities no longer exist. But the seeds were sown at the turn of the millennia for some of the biggest, most world changing corporations and technologies. And I think the same thing is true here. I think we're at a point where a lot of the underbrush is getting burned away. You're seeing some sequoias stand. I would argue one sequoia. It's called Bitcoin, and it's going to be around for a long time, and it's a really big deal we've spent six episodes explaining why Bitcoin is valuable. So I'm not sure it's worth our time rehashing that. If you're curious about that, go back. But this this Bitcoin, not blockchain thing, such an important point. I'll, I'll hit it through my own lens. Blockchains are cumbersome, inefficient, redundant, extremely expensive, right? To decentralize a ledger, as you just described. And there's very, very, very few applications where this makes sense. Most of the things that crypto is trying to do are better served in an equity-like environment, in a centralized environment. Money, the base layer of value settlement for Homo sapien, is one of the few areas where extremely robust, resilient, widespread decentralization makes perfect sense so that we have immutability, we have censorship resistance. That's the application of money. And I think the caution I would give to people that are interested in other crypto assets that are competing in the realm of money is that I do, in a lot of ways, think it's a winner-take-all phenomena. Robert Breedlove has called it sort of the centripetal force of, of hard monetary networks. Saif Moose has said, you know, the risks of someone holding a money harder than your own. Like it it would be counterproductive to store wealth or or build a money application around a less secure, less liquid, less scarce monetary good. So I think this is something that people need to think about because I, I I do think there are winner take all phenomena at play here. And if you're competing in the realm of a decentralized monetary protocol, Bitcoin really has that boxed out, especially because it's open source and can be developed on in layers. And in addition to monetary networks being this way, protocols tend to be winner take all. Whether it's USB, whether it's the the electricity outlet protocol, whether it's the internet protocol stack, things tend to coalesce once a protocol starts subsuming a lot of different applications in a certain realm.
0: We touched on it in I think it was a previous uh, episode, which is in the kind of the whole Bitcoin uh, crypto sphere. There's something called. Um, the trilemma. And the trilemma says, is, is obviously, there's a triangle. And you can pick two of the three sides of this triangle. And those are security, decentralization, and scalability. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that what Bitcoin is picking is decentralization and security. Whereas many of these other uh, crypto tokens, altcoins, so on, they're going for, given that Bitcoin is trying to build this like super stable currency, many of them are going for scalability and decentralization. But the reality is, if you don't have that, Uh, uh, the security well then naturally people are going to struggle to invest in the long term in your token because if there's a fear of loss well then what's the point in the token in the first place and so exactly as you say this winner take all kind of mentality is that over time once people start to realize that bitcoin is not crypto once people start to realize that bitcoin its security and its stability uh is is profound and (laughs) unchallenged naturally capital is going to flow into bitcoin and that's why this winner take all mentality kind of starts to arise at the moment there's still just not enough uh public knowledge there's not enough recognition for the difference between bitcoin and crypto which is why a lot of money still necessarily
3: well still flows into the, the, the crypto sphere in general said so you raised such a good point decentralization and security are the fundamental pillars that you don't want to fuck with on a base layer And I think that's where a lot of these other altcoins started to proliferate was that argument around um, Bitcoin's inability to scale on the base layer, which was absolutely true. But that was only true to the extent that we were talking about base layers. So a lot of these other protocols come in trying to fix the scalability where there was a trade-off on decentralization or a trade-off on security where pre-sort of, you know, even I would argue the last couple of years where out we've started to see the second layers and third layers on top of Bitcoin really start to build out. I would even hazard a guess to say they had some sort of they had um, you know that that made a little bit of sense, right? If if Bitcoin was never going to scale on its base layer, it always needed higher layers, and we're going to get right into that in the next episode. I think um, to really do a deep dive on the Lightning Network and other layers, but that mm-hmm. is ultimately an, a zero issue now. Um, the scalability comes on the second layers. And on the second third layers, you do take a little bit of the trade-offs around the, around the security and the centralization. That's absolutely true. But the real important thing to highlight and underscore there is there's been zero trade-offs on that base layer protocol. It is the most secure and it is the most decentralized. So I would argue very, very heavily against any other crypto asset in the in the um in the industry around their de- decentralization that yeah. it just does not occur um there there might be a few fringe ones that lack net- network effects that are able to achieve some sort of de- decentralization but the other big players the other big ones that you hear about like ethereum is probably the number 2 sort of asset in the space that most people will diversify and and fuck around on the fringes they have made massive trade-offs on both security and decentralization in particular decentralization so a lot of these assets get um, you know framed up under the the lens of decentralized finance where they are completely decentralized in name only there is so much centralization that goes on in those protocols and if you take the time to go and really dig into them you will absolutely find that to be true particularly and what's really really um, important to highlight I think around that is this concept of a pre-mine um so anyone Mm. like not familiar with that terminology that's the big red flag for me for most of these other assets Mm -hmm. this idea of a pre-mine so the founding members um when you come up with a a, a token right it's got to go through some period of centralization now um, in order for you to stand that up and most of the time that comes with a pre-mine either you're mining that blockchain within your little circle to try and get a little bit of, um, you know, quote-unquote security around a bit of history on that blockchain. So you're going to mine it yourselves, and you're going to keep those coins for yourself, or you just don't even bother uh, with with the, um, you know, the the obscurity around that. You just basically go, well, we're the founding members. We're going to give ourselves 70%. We're going to issue a couple of trillion of these coins, right? Keep 70% for yourself. And there are so many examples of this, like Ethereum, XRP, they're probably the two big ones that come to mind when I think about pre mines. And every time that they, you know, the the um the, the crypto ecosystem pumps, these guys are selling. You know, it's a blockchain. All these addresses are, are, you know, immutable. You can you can follow the money, right? And every single time these things pump, they're pumping into that liquidity. They're using you as exit liquidity to pump their own bags. And most of the time, if we look back through history, like Ethereum, all they wanted was Bitcoin. So they did their pre-mines and they're like, "Hey, we've got this new token. We accept Bitcoin." Right? So every all of these um all of these quote-unquote fucking decentralized systems, uh, decentralized protocols that are out there, they're after your Bitcoin.
1: Yes, they are. Well said. Well said. Most of these founders and and lead investors, they want to accumulate Bitcoin and US dollars. They don't give a crap about the token. You were the exit liquidity for.
3: Zero examples of like, you know, uh, an Ethereum Primon, accepting Tron or anything like that, you know, it, it's always <laughs> Bitcoin or US dollars for sure. And
2: Bitcoin's the entrance to the space. You know, if you want to buy shitcoins, first you got to buy Bitcoin for most at most of these places. Um, I wanted to just say that Bitcoin occupies this near perfect space where it's these characteristics where it has no leader, so it makes changes extremely difficult. So when it, when these other tokens are saying that they're better than Bitcoin, they're be- they're saying they're faster, they're more agile. But all of those are characteristics that insinuate that there's a leader or someone that has the ability to change their characteristics, which the point of the system is to have no leader and to have a trustless system, which that is negating. The block space, they'll say, you know, there's not enough transaction throughput. That's in order to allow the decentralization of nodes. I mean, to run an Ethereum node, last I checked, it costs about $70,000 because you need a damn, you need like 32 ETH. And then you need a system that, a a computer that costs like $25,000 to actually run an archival node. So nobody's doing that. Nobody outside of like a Google data center or something, or you're renting a ton of CPU time, whatever. Uh, The other thing is block time. They say it's really slow, but that allows for the synchronization of blocks in order for the decentralized network to all coalesce and work together and be decentralized. So these characteristics that they insinuate makes Bitcoin weak or slow or, you know, boomer are the innate characteristics that make it so great because they allow all of us to have a $200 Raspberry Pi node running start nine and running our node. We're able to verify it all ourselves. It allows us to, you know, the transactions can get very expensive, but again, then we go back to this layer two idea where this is a base layer technology. These second and tertiary layers are going to make the throughput better. And that is the point. Like if you're trying to beat Bitcoin on the base layer, you, you have to make a trade-off that has to destroy your coin in the long run. This is a low time preference ideation.
0: That, that wording that you just said, that trade-off, I think that is so important. That's what I think people sometimes lose sight of when we're talking about the trilemma, is that when you look at that trilemma, which is the security, the scalability, and the decentralization, there are three sides to that. You can be security and decentralization like Bitcoin. Now, that obviously tries to do the scalability aspect on the other layers as everyone has kind of described. You could also be the scalability and decentralization. Scalability and decentralization, if you really step back and think about it, they're kind of opposing ends to one another. You can't have something that's scalable and decentralized because as you get something that's scalable, it consumes a lot more data. And as it consumes more data, it means that people can't run nodes. And so it's not decentralized. And then on the other side of the triangle is security and scalability. But if you have security and scalability and you don't have any decentralization, why are you using it in the first place? Just go across to fiat currency, go across to any of these other centralized entities. There's no need to use blockchain. And so when you actually think about this triangle, there's only one viable side, that one viable side is security and decentralization. Outside of that, there's no, why, why are we doing this? I think it's just you're, you're making something more complex than it needs to be, or you're trying to shill something because you're benefiting from it.
1: Mm, very well said. I want to provide some numbers to what you said, Josh. These are old numbers. They're from December of 2022, not that long ago. But speaking to the node centralization dynamics of even Ethereum, and I think Ethereum is the best other cryptocurrency to speak to just because it's the, the, the most direct, you could say, competitor, even though I feel like that's less the case with it moving to proof of stake. And it's far more decentralized than most of these other proof-of-stake protocols. So I think it's a fair place to to pick at. And as you guys have expressed, when you go to that side of the triangle and you look to have increased throughput and more code expressivity on the base layer, you increase the processing power needs, the storage and bandwidth requirements, all of that. And so here's how that's manifest on Ethereum. As of December 2022, there's 6,700 Ethereum nodes. 4,400 of the 6,700 are hosted by a cloud service. 2,700 are hosted by Amazon. So there are only 2,300 of the 6,700 Ethereum nodes that are non hosted. And most of the users and apps relying on, or that that are doing this, are on Infura or Alchemy. And we have to go back to this Tornado Cash example. This is a little bit specific but the treasury sanctioned this, this privacy focused smart contract tornado cash and that, the takeaway is that infura and alchemy basically rolled over and got their belly scratched like puppies the <laughs> point i'm making here if you're confused is that with these you know hosted ethereum nodes which josh referenced are extremely complex difficult and expensive to run that's an inherent, inherently centralizing force and those centralized choke points are Easy pickings for regulators. I think this pivots to another subject, which is just the this the obvious distinction between Bitcoin and the rest of rest of crypto that the SEC has made. And a lot of people in the crypto space are sort of lobbing fireballs at Bitcoin or saying, I thought you guys were freedom focused and libertarian focused, and now you're cheering on the SEC. That's another discussion. But what what I think the difference in distinction, Bitcoin being labeled as commodity. Ethereum and really the rest of the crypto space as of right now at this date and time looking like it's going to be labeled as security is just that Bitcoin is built differently. Gary Gensler and policymakers understand how slippery of a hog Bitcoin is. It cannot be regulated the same way as the rest of the crypto space because there is no central choke point. There was no pre-mine. There are no founders. It is very, very commodity-like, and that's why it's labeled as such. Yes, there could be some draconian regulations that come Bitcoin's way, but it is designed in such a way that it can spin move out of those regulations in a way that none of these other tokens will be or will ever be able to do because of how
3: they're designed. Breach. And, um, and there won't, won't be another one, right? It's got first, first mover advantage. So it was, it was basically a fluke. In order for, for Bitcoin to, to come to um, the fore through that decentralized in, from day one, right? So Satoshi released it to everybody. The first block that he mined, the Genesis block, had unspendable Bitcoin, so it didn't become part of the. So he can't be, you know, um, sort of accused of a pre mine. And then it was released to everybody who wanted you know to that cypherpunk mailing list. Admittedly, that's a that was a small group, right? But it was completely anybody who wants to run this, run this. And throughout just people's adoption that the the blockchain started to get built out, and we started to build the chain through hashing, which we spoke about in previous episodes. But the the point is there can't be another iteration of that without some form of centralization. So us four could decide to go and run uh, a, a copy of Bitcoin today but at the end of the day in order for that to be secure we're going to have to go through some period of centralization where we start mining the blocks between ourselves right we're lining our own pockets and the real limiting factor for us to enable to be to do that and we've spoken about this again on previous episodes is the network effects so we can totally spin up josh coin i think it'll be a phenomenal uh you know offering what, josh what would that coin just, be like? just in your name That'd only a fucked you up know? coin Yeah, (laughs) Dancoin. That's right. I was was paid off. I was paid off to come up with Dancoin. But you know, it's going to be useless outside of us for, you know, even useless inside of us for. Like, what the fuck are we going to use this thing for, right? Um, But like, we're never going to get the network effects that Bitcoin has gotten. Yeah. Even if you were to copy and paste Bitcoin and run it again from 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 zero um, without a period of centralization.
2: There's just, there's just no way to go back and, and create a situation where nobody would notice because in order for Bitcoin to bootstrap itself the way it did, the whole world had to be asleep at the idea of this, yes. which they were. Great point. And nobody, I mean, I didn't even hear about this till 2011. This started 2009, took two years before the first whiff of it came my way. It took another five years for me to have any idea or inkling of like the real profundity of it and the rest of the world, you know, maybe a couple of years after that and It took a couple of years of bootstrapping from nothing for these Bitcoins to be completely worthless, not even having a saleable value on a marketplace in order for that to happen. And and Satoshi mined, I did the math, he mined over a million Bitcoin and that worked out to have him being the miner for like 152 days straight at 50 blocks per Coinbase every 10 minutes. So he had to have won the vast majority. And oh, this goes back to the pre-mine that I think Seb mentioned earlier. Bitcoin had no pre-mines. So the first time a block was distributed, 50 Bitcoins were, were given to Satoshi and on and on. And I think HAL was mining and probably some other cypherpunks at the time. But there, were, there was no like Satoshi gave himself a million to start with. He had zero. He, gave him, he didn't give himself any. He mined them. And then everyone else who competed to mine with him won whatever Coinbase transaction they won. Satoshi ended up with just over a million coins, which have never moved. He never spent them. If he's still alive, which seems like it's unlikely because you'd think that he would have spent some of that or sold some of it off. But the point is he didn't give himself any advantage. He was just the only miner. So he, in order to make this thing work, he had to mine because nobody else gave a fuck. This is some worthless thing, some idea that he had that now became worth a shit ton of money, but you couldn't recreate that situation. Not at all. Yeah, it really
1: was an immaculate conception, you could say, an unreplicable one that came at just the right time. And I, I think, that I forget which one of you said it, but you could reintroduce something just like Bitcoin, maybe better than Bitcoin, maybe more decentralized. I don't know. It's, it's because it's run its course so much and the network effect is where it is. And it, it is as effective as it has proven to be at all these different applications. It's a, it's a Mac truck rolling down a hill at this point.
0: It's like the Virgin Mary and Jesus. There's so many religions that have tried to compete against Jesus, but he's the first virgin child.
1: Yep. Can't compete on another level. 100%. (laughs) Should we talk a little bit about proof of stake versus proof of work? I know we did this in a previous episode. I was
3: just just going to pivot there. Perfect.
1: But I feel like we need to do that at least for a little bit again, because I'll just start by saying... We actually are in a different climate than when, when Josh and I first broached this subject. When we first launched the podcast, I forget it's in our first ten episodes. We did a two episodes called Shit Coins, A Reasoned Refutation. Those were fun. Josh, I think that was the episode, by the way, where my audio was completely fucked yeah, up. We had to to run it back. We recorded for like two hours. <laughs> it was my long, audio was man. fucked. So we spent four hours talking about that. At that We were point, so pissed,
2: dude. Yeah. I could hear I should have known because I- his it was his MacBook mic picking it up. You could hear papers shuffling like right next to the mic and I didn't realize it, but afterwards they are like, dude, this is garbage. We can't put this out to the 10 people listening. I'm still bitter, dude. You owe me two hours of my life back. Um, Never going to get the, it.
1: The point was there though that even when we recorded that a couple of years ago, Ethereum was still a proof of work protocol. At this point, the landscape is pretty much cleared out of proof of work other than Bitcoin. There, There's nothing really all that serious competing with Bitcoin in the proof-of-work sphere. All these other crypto tokens have pivoted to proof-of-stake. And that is a big deal. These two things, the mechanics behind them are, are totally different from one another. Who wants to bite that off first?
3: I think uh, I would just start by sort of highlighting a few of the things from that previous discussion around the difference between the proof-of-stake and the, and the proof-of-work. Um, I think proof-of-work really is like when we talk about like decentralization um it also works on the on the respect to like if we look at proof of work versus proof of stake around your ability to um append a new block to the blockchain is randomized through that system of proof of work and proof of stake is the exact opposite of that and if we're to highlight you know with ethereum right they shifted from proof of work to proof of stake where the centralization of your of the ability that, you know, Josh just highlighted, uh, sorry, Dan just highlighted with a few um, a, a, a few facts and figures around, you know, those players who have Ethereum nodes, but it's also like a big red flag for me, tying back in that pre that thought about pre-mine is basically we've, if, if you had a large pre-mine where, you know, I don't know what the exact figures were for Ethereum, but it was upwards of 50%, right? I think it was as high as 70. Someone could probably root me on that, but. Um, basically the, 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 premise behind proof of stake is if the bigger bags that you have of Ethereum. Exactly. The bigger, you know, the, the more likely you are to be able to, um, append a block to the blockchain, whereas like proof of work, it, it kind of does work in the same way. Like that, obviously the more miners you have, the more right that you're going to have, but it's a completely right. randomized approach to, you know, if you want to put the work in and you want to expend the energy your efforts are going to be completely randomized to to add the block to the blockchain. And, and it does work out around, you know, if you've got 50% of the hash power, you would expect to mine 50% of the blocks, but it does absolutely, it, it's a massive difference.
2: If I own, let's just say I own 51% of Ethereum, I've completely locked out the ability for anyone to ever compete with me ever again. 100%. Yes. But in Bitcoin, if I own 51% of the hash, it is theoretically possible for someone to compete. They just have to come up with a massive amount of capital to put a ton of miners on board, but it isn't impossible. It's still there's still a game theory there that to play back and forth. But if you own fifty one percent of the point of the staking ETH, like you've captured
3: it. Well, yep. Yeah, yeah. Great
0: point. I think it's also important to know that like the difference between proof of stake and proof of work is that you're separating investors from security. And that's really important because in proof of stake As an investor, naturally you're also the security because as the proof of stake goes around, at some point you're the one who's going to be verifying transactions. So all of a sudden you kind of skew the incentives in the system. Whereas in Bitcoin, if you want to invest in Bitcoin, you can buy Bitcoin or you can become a miner and invest in mining equipment. But either way, you're under different incentives, and so each of those keep each other accountable. So we have a system with more. As we kind of touched on, I think Dan mentioned it previously. As we kind of touched on earlier. We have uh, no single point of attack. We, have, we, we incentivize productive behavior. We, the more entities that manage, we've got the nodes, we've got the investors, we've got the security, we've got the, the community. All of these keep each other accountable, which in the long run promotes stability and security, which I think is incredibly important.
1: Man, I, I love how you just said that, Seb.
3: It was delicious, Seb.
1: It, it's, there, there's, to, to reiterate some of your points, I said this on with Harry Sudock recently. The, the difference with mining is that it's an indefinitely open market. It's a, it's like a game of King of the Hill on the playground where you're standing on top of the jungle gym and a new big fat kid's always going to come around and push you off. Like you, you have to guard that with your life and it's it's, it's going to be that way forever. You can never fully establish a position that's going to be there forever in the mining space. And then I don't know how you, exactly you just said it, Seb, but this notion that investors and holders of the commodity good are not the ones making all of the decisions. And this is where proof of work is inherently commodity-like and proof of stake is inherently equity-like, which obviously the SEC agrees with. Proof of work is attached to real work and natural resources, that ever-continuing churn I just mentioned of competitiveness And proof of stake, as we've established, the more coins you have, the more voting power you have. This isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like This is how companies work. This is how equities work. It's not a problem for a company to be centralized. But don't pretend to be a a commodity when you're in equity, is is kind of my view. And if we were to draw the proof of stake parallel to, say, politics, Lynn Alden has said this before. It's like a political system where you get a vote for every $100 you have. If you're a fireman and... You got a hundred thousand dollars in net worth. You get a thousand votes. If you're Jeff Bezos and you got a two hundred billion dollar net worth, you get two billion votes. Sounds like a rich get richer scheme to me, especially when you're trying to be a more base layer monetary good.
3: Absolutely, um,
1: mm. a lot of concerns. There are a lot of centralizing concerns, and it, it to to be competing with Bitcoin on the on the realm of base layer settlement as a proof of stake protocol is very concerning to me. I actually think that. It could make the system as it currently exists worse, m- more yeah. m- manipulated,
2: more centralized, more concerning in my mind. Well, the, if we're going to compare, um, well, Ether is definitely the, the biggest competitor to Bitcoin. And when we're talking about it, to shift to a different aspect of it, which is Vitalik literally runs Ethereum. It's a cult of personality if, with Ethereum. He has the ability, him and um, you know, some cohorts that are around him, they hard fork this thing like once a year. And just to explain very quickly what a hard fork is versus a soft fork, a hard fork means they can change any of the parameters in the system with a hard fork. They can change the uh, amount that is paid out every block. They can change any one of the parameters that make it what it is. So there's a very real chance that things in Ethereum can go very different in the future simply because Vitalik can make a fiat decision that decrees that this is what Ethereum is now going to be. All of these nodes will follow him because they have in the past. There's been times with the DAO hack. They completely took back Ethereum from a hack. So they had a a smart contract that failed. Somebody found some weakness in it. They stole a whole bunch of Ether and Vitalik and his crew rolled back Ethereum. They hard forked it in order to take it back. Whether or not you agree with that, it doesn't matter. The point that I'm making here is that Vitalik single-handedly has the ability to take back and change this protocol however he feels necessary that's a that should that's something that should worry you especially if you have a vast amount of your net worth in this thing that it could at any moment when he decides that he wants to change it to whatever parameters he decides are are best for it and maybe not best for you that's the way this is gonna go yep um and just to run back to talk about soft forks versus hard forks bitcoin does change from time to time, the last time was, uh, what was it, 2021 with Taproot? I think it was, like November. Those are soft forks, so that means that nobody, there's no underlying uh, consensus changes. Everything stays the same, All of, and it's all backwards compatible. So your node will continue to run, even if you don't agree with the change, and you want to keep it the way it was. It's like forcing people's hands with a hard fork. With a soft fork, it's it's simply optional.
3: Oh, that's compatible. compatible, <laughs> hmm yeah, and it's important to note a hard fork basically creates a chain split in two separate assets, right? So, and Good then point. only one will win is, is typically the way these things go, which is why we avoid it at, at most costs, right? Um, uh, but, but just due to that fact that, you know, you can't create value out of nothing. So, you know, as soon as you split the chain, you've effectively doubled the value you know, quote unquote, if they were both to remain true at their current value. So one will trend towards zero and one will keep trucking along as the, as the, um, you know, the, the original protocol. Uh, and if history is, is anything to go by, Bitcoin will more than likely, um, retain status quo, um, you know, business as usual without any major changes. And that's why most of the protocol suggestions and changes are always backwards compatible. So what and what the really important point to highlight are in that soft fork and why that's important is because it doesn't then matter if you're running an old version of your node you are still in consensus you are still contributing to the rules it's backwards compatible so that if if um you know a major change were to be uh implemented and you're just asleep at the wheel you're still part of that consensus network you're still running uh Uh, A compatible version of the software not everybody has to update their nodes and that's one of the really um, I think important points to highlight with these other protocols particularly Ethereum. If you didn't get on the train, if you didn't get on board with any of those hard forks, you're out of consensus and you now own a bag of shit.
2: Well now you know you own a bag of shit you just thought you might have before.
3: Absolutely.
0: I was going to add one more quick thing to what you were just saying Josh which I think is so important and I think people don't necessarily grasp this sometimes which is stability and security comes with consistency. When we're looking at so many of these altcoins, the reality is like, imagine going and investing in Conformity Co. Conformity Co is like the up and coming biggest company. And when you invest in it, it's all about making masks for the pandemic. But then all of a sudden, Ukraine war comes out and suddenly they want to support Ukraine war. And then all of a sudden, uh, I don't know, the next biggest thing comes out, AI. So now they're pivoting to AI. And this is what's happening in all of these these altcoins is that every single time someone speaks up and says, maybe we should do this. They contend to, they follow suit and they kind of follow the crowd in order to appease the crowd in order to drive cap. So the reality is that what you originally invest in, you fast forward a year, two years, three years, and it's nothing like what you originally invested in. And this is where Bitcoin, other than these security changes and these slight adaptations to the code so that it can evolve alongside uh, the changing market, Outside of that, it stayed true to its original intent, and it stayed true to its core values, which I think is incredibly important.
3: Yeah, and this is the whole—the whole, like, you know, original use case for crypto was to decentralize finance, break down the current institutions that we have, where it's just been co-opted fully to be the exact same thing. So if if you don't agree with the lobbying and stuff that goes on where you get a concentration of wealth and people can dictate policy between their political ties. That's exactly what's going on now. And Ethereum mm. is the biggest example of that. Like they are in bed with the World Economic Forum and so forth. And I don't give a shit what your personal views are around them. They might do good, they might do no good. But at the end of the day, they are dictating, well, they have a say in, in global policy. And they're in bed with Ethereum now, so whatever they're going to want to enact, it's very possible to enact within that system purely because of that proof of stake mechanism, whereby um, you know if you've got big bags of the shit, you can basically dictate who is allowed to transact on your protocol. Where you know Bitcoin yep. is completely the opposite.
1: Yes, when when we talk about DeFi, decentralized finance. What's become ironic to me is that a lot of these DeFi protocols are built on something that at the, the base layer, I don't see as decentralized at all. Like If you're, if you're going to build decentralized finance, you need to be building on a decentralized base layer. And increasingly, a lot of these crypto tokens, Ethereum included, are becoming more and more centralized. And that's where, yes, it may happen slower than some other people want but it makes so much more sense to build defi on top of an actually decentralized base layer monetary asset that being bitcoin i think another point to make here and this also harkens back to a lot of what we talked about in the first six episodes but it's not just that the ethos of bitcoin doesn't want to change or that's that's some principle it's that mechanically it's next to impossible and this gets down you talked about the different competing incentives in Bitcoin and groups in Bitcoin Seb, but even just from a from a how would you hard fork Bitcoin? It's so difficult to do. I mean, I've drawn the analogy of of the Bible. You know, I've said before on this show, how would you change Mark chapter seven, verse 14? The the, the Bible is spread so freaking thin across the globe that, yeah, you could you could make 10,000 Bibles with that verse change, but it's not going to make a dent at all. You have to convince blokes like us who are running Raspberry Pis in our living room to update the code to, to try to pivot the network effect. It is like changing the electrical outlet. Good fucking luck, because this mm. thing's not going to move. And so those incentives are what really forces people to, to soft fork and work within the rules and keep that sense of constancy, Seb. I think for someone that is newer, that wasn't around, we were babies back when this was happening in in 2017-ish, but the the book, The Block Size War, is a great one. It gets into basically the best attempt that's been made so far to sort of hijack and hard fork Bitcoin. And and most of the big money players, the big hashers, all the big power players in Bitcoin were behind this hard fork. And the node operators just said, no soup for you. And Bitcoin didn't change. And if it couldn't be done back then, it sure as fuck isn't going to be done now.
2: 100%. I think it's important for us while we're on this topic of talking about the things that are, I think, dangerous for people to be buying into. I think, in, I think include, if we're going to include altcoins in this, I think we should also talk about these platforms that allow people to get interest bearing you know, on their Bitcoin or whatever. Even if you're a Bitcoin maximalist and you just oh, like, oh, I want to put it on some platform. BlockFi is a great example. Make a little bit of interest. Well, that didn't work out real well for anyone running. If, if you had your money in a BlockFi interest account, you lost it all. Um, FTX, another example of that. Celsius, OneCoin, BitConnect, Quadriga. There are so many of these platforms and it looks like Prime Trust is another one that's going up right now. So many of these platforms are just built by people. I'm, I'm not going to say that they're complete scumbags, but it seems likely that that's the way to describe them. They are literally running Ponzi schemes. They are robbing another person that's has put their, plat- their money on the platform to pay you. And this works for a period of time until it simply doesn't. And that's when it hits a brick wall. That's when things get turned down instantly. Your money's there. It's fucked. You've lost all your money. Dan and I, we've mentioned a friend of ours that lost a significant amount of money on one of these platforms. It's really sad to see it. We would highly recommend that you cold store your own Bitcoin, using your own node that may not be necessary. Like If you're just introducing yourself to this stuff, at least get a cold card. At least put this stuff in your own custody because there are a shit ton of people that got stuck in these Ponzi schemes and they just lost all their money. That's it.
0: It's gone. I think we we touched on this, very. I, I think, during the FTX breakdown. When was it? Maybe in our third episode or something, which is FTX... When they obviously had to kind of open up about their balance sheet, they had something like 1.1 Bitcoin backing like $1.4 billion a bit. <laughs> and so it's just like, <laughs> this is mind blowing. You realize that you can be this Bitcoin maxi that is never going to touch a single altcoin and then realize actually your whole portfolio is invested in altcoins. You don't own any Bitcoin. And it's just, that's the reality of the situation when you invest in many of these, uh, these centralized exchanges that say you're supposedly getting a yield.
1: And there there are some concerns here on my end. Josh and I have talked about this, that there is a lot of growth that needs to happen in the Bitcoin custodial ecosystem, brokers, onboarding platforms. We're still early and there's growing pains and we're working through them. That doesn't mean the project's useless, but I think it's it's worth at least acknowledging. I understand why people are scared. I personally understand why regulators are moving in going, what in the floppy fuck is going on here? This is insane. The level of opacity and,
2: and, and scamminess is, is through the roof. I think it's important to highlight some companies that survived all of this too. I think Ledin is a good example. Like yeah. Ledin, I mean, the fact that they didn't go belly up and they've made everyone whole, even though I know they were exposed to some of this shit, they at least had their shit in a row well enough to make sure that they didn't blow up and lose their, uh, their constituents money. There are people in this space that are honest, but the problem is, is that you don't know who they are necessarily. And if you don't have the ability to do the homework and know who they are, then you probably shouldn't put your money on their platform.
1: Yeah. I think that is a good point though. I think a lot of, of companies that ha- that survive this round, it doesn't mean that they're perfect. It doesn't mean you should put complete trust in them at all. That's not what I'm saying. But it does earn them a lot of uh, a kudos and cred for the discipline th- that they clearly manifest. I, the, the point I was going to make there was that the, the irony with Bitcoin is that you sort of have two options. One is, hey, I'm going to leave this extremely precious, unique asset with incredible potential on a platform with a bunch of leverage, no regulatory parameters whatsoever, or I can, for the first time in human history, take custody of a digital bear asset and have complete certainty, totally verify myself that it's there and it's 100% reserved. These two options are really disparate, worlds apart. One is full of risk and one is one of the least risky ways that you can custody anything in the world today. Why wouldn't you take option two? It does require some learning. It does require some ownership on your end. But you do need to get started to go back to our last episode, self-custody. At least start experimenting because you, you, you are going to need to know where the exit is. You should find it imminently. But at least you need to get your eyes on where that exit sign might be because it's not that hard. And it's one of the key points of Bitcoin to be able to not trust and verify that you have 100% of the asset. That you believe you do
0: i think dan you were talking about kind of the irony and i think that this is this is what i just find so funny is that like during 2008 the peak unrealized losses in the u.s banking system totaled like 85 billion dollars that's unrealized losses so they hadn't been realized the banks hadn't actually admitted loss yet right now unrealized losses in the u.s banking system top like just below 800 billion dollars like 10 times out of 2008 and so (laughs) when we're talking about self-custody I would argue that that self-custody is not just in crypto, that, that self-custody is in, in our current banking system. like do you can get your money into something like Bitcoin where you can self-custody it? Because these banks, even I think there was a study done last year through the Fed, and the Fed basically acknowledged that there was something like 340 banks in the US. that are effectively insolvent. They just haven't declared bankruptcy yet. And that's the case, is that many of our banks, our deposits, will never, we will never see those if we started to see a bank run and on top of that. The FDIC, as I think we've discussed previously, they've got like 1.6% to be able to back all of these assets in the banking system. So it's just a, it's a ticking time bomb and the banking system is no different to crypto.
3: Well, Bitcoin's the only monetary asset where we can absolutely prove 100% reserves. You take self-custody or Bitcoin, you hold it for yourself. You absolutely know that you have that 100% reserve backing mm. where you know, the, the only equivalent in the other financial system is cash but there does not exist enough cash that for the monetary base that's in existence so not everybody can take 100% proof of reserve in the cash system because the whole system would collapse so it's a really really important point to highlight this is the only monetary asset where we can absolutely 100% guarantee 100 proof of reserve 100% mm-hmm. proof of reserve
2: yeah and if you haven't done that yourself if you haven't spent the 200 bucks it takes to buy a node Set it up, get some free software. Sparrow is a great example, and watch it happen yourself. Like, watch your node verify your money. It's a pretty magical thing when you really think about what's happening in the background. Like, humanity has never seen anything like this before, short of custodying gold bars, which introduce their entire, an entire other scope of problems because you have to keep some person from stealing those gold bars from you. But Bitcoin enables you. To custody that money, know for sure, for fact, to verify it yourself, and also able to lock it up behind a wall of cryptography that makes it impossible for someone to steal as long as you take some very simple steps to hold it yourself.
3: I'll put it out there. Get in contact with us If you want us to hold your hand, just get in contact. Any four of us on here, I'm sure will take the time to help you I'm actually i've got a uh, I've got an appointment to go visit
2: one of my boomer friends next week to go hold his hand to move his money off Swan because he's petrified of how it works. And I understand it. Like I, he's never done it. He's afraid. I don't know. I don't know how much money it is for him, but it sounds like it's semi-significant. So he's worried that he's going to fuck it up and lose his money. And I, I get it. The first time I moved significant portions of Bitcoin, I shit my pants a little bit, you know, and we all, I think we all did. We've all done it. Yeah. We've all done it. So it, it, just, just as dad said, do it, find a, a BTC Sessions video, he, he literally is the best in the world at holding your hand through this. Find one of his YouTube Absolutely. videos based on whatever it is you're trying to do. Just follow it and do it and, and move small amounts of money to start with. I could hear
1: somebody listening going, guys, you can self-custody other crypto assets. That's true. You can. There are other crypto assets that you can hold in self-custody. That's a fair counterpoint where i would point to is is the the previous part of our discussion which is the inherently centralizing concerns with that underlying asset that you have in self custody the reason bitcoin self custody is such a big deal i mean i could self custody uh, literally a piece of shit i could i could go into the toilet and fucking <laughs> pull out a, a shit and and hold that in self custody so self custody itself isn't Amazing. What's amazing is what you're able to self-custody. The immutability of Bitcoin, the censorship resistance of Bitcoin, the confidence that the supply of this asset is not going to go up and that you're going to be able to move it and there's going to be liquidity there. Those are all things that Bitcoin's proven. And that's why it's so momentous that you can self-custody this thing. So that would be my counterpoint to someone that goes, I can self-custody my Solana. Well, yeah, I, I can go find a fucking turd with a piece of corn in it and self-custody it too
3: yeah the other like thing with these other coins as well is like monetary policy go and actually dig up the monetary policy and go and see how many times it changed who has control (laughs) and who can actually change it and tell me what the fixed cap supply is what the issuance rate is and all that there's so much it's it's so opaque with most of these things that and that's kind of where I got to, right? Um, I, I said I'd, I'd sort of share my story around where I woke up to this thing. And, and it come down to me teaching others. And I started writing down a lot of this macro finance stuff that I started. You know, it's so sort of the precursor to Looking Glass was I was writing articles from my friends and family around where you know why I own Bitcoin. So what the problem with we inflation? Remember, we was.
1: remember those days with fondness, daz yeah. We loved reading
3: that shit. That's mm-hmm. when you came on our radio you, you, you've been there since day dot. So you know, and one of these one of these articles I was writing, I think it was around fiat currency, and I started looping in um, Ethereum. So I, was, oh, I started writing about why I owned Ethereum, and I very quickly realized, that, like I'm very thankful I went down that path because I don't know if I would I think I would have woken up eventually. But that was the sort of dawning aspect for me as I owned a bag of this stuff and I didn't know why, like just because I mm-hmm. diversified, right? Now, when I actually started digging down into the weeds around what is the monetary policy, what is the fixed cap supply, what is the issuance rate, who are the people who are, you know, calling the shots here? And I went, holy shit, this thing is not decentralized. And that's the yeah. turning point for me and I sold it all and went Bitcoin only from that sort of day on. I think what's it called? Warren Buffett makes a really good point. He, he talks about this quite a
0: bit way back when. And he says, I'd rather like rather than kind of spreading my eggs across multiple baskets, I'd rather have one basket with a couple of eggs in and watch that basket like a whore. And I think that's the reality is that yeah. many times when we look at these pension funds, when we look at these, these bigger institutions that do diversify, they diversify because they don't have the time to understand what they're investing in. And that's how they spread risk. With, with us as an individual investor, when we have limited capital, spend our time trying to truly understand something like Bitcoin so that you feel comfortable in being able to dis- like disseminate what the news is saying. Is this an actual risk right now? Or is this just kind of more FUD? And actually, this is, a, this is an asset that I'd really think is going to make a big change in the world in the future. So I think that it's important just to spend time truly understanding what you're investing in rather than just like, yeah, spreading it thin. I think,
2: I think Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger have incredibly good advice on everything except Bitcoin. <laughs> I mean, like my own investing, I, I diversify into a mutual funds generally besides Bitcoin. That is the only thing that I hold as a, as a single asset. I don't buy you know Tesla. I don't buy any individual stocks. I mean, I've played with that stuff in the past, but I've gotten to the point where I realize I really am a pseudo expert, pseudo expert on Bitcoin probably, but all these other things, like I'm, I don't have the time to spend reading through all these you know, uh, financial statements for all these companies, I'm not going to do with that. I just don't have the time. I don't have the, I don't even want to. I just want to buy some mutual funds for the, the amount of money I invest besides Bitcoin. And then I buy some Bitcoin. I turn it up when I feel like it's cheap and I, I don't pause, but I turn it down when I feel like it's, like it's expensive, which I think is a, a good way to kind of meter your entry into this thing. Especially when it's up 30% in like the last month, like I kind of meter back a little bit.
3: And that's why I think it's such like this is why wage earners need Bitcoin is because I've, we've spoken about this so many times now, but yeah. it, it puts investment power back into the hands of wage earners. You don't actually need to spend days and days poring over financial statements and balance sheets to know if this equity is any good, just to beat inflation, which is pretty much the position we've been forced into, right? Or taking on and outsourcing a lot of that risk through passive, um, passive investment vehicles and so forth, where Bitcoin is like it's the easiest thing to grok. It's the easiest thing to understand for wage earners. You should just be able to save money. You should just be able to put your hard-earned capital away in small chunks every single day, every single week, every single month, whatever coincides with your pay schedule, and over a long enough time period, increase your purchasing power. And that is like the dumbest way. I can I can distill this thing down, right? Is just long time preference. And like just go circling back and tying in the old coins, like most of these things underperform Bitcoin over a long enough time horizon. Yes. And that's the thing we're trying to beat into everybody is, you know, low time preference. We don't need to have high time preference when it comes to saving. We're trying to instill these values in you that if you park your currency in small tranches over a long enough time period you will outperform just about everything fucking else that you can possibly invest in. And it is the simplest thing for you to do. You don't need to be tying into, you know, is it Vitalik gonna fucking fork it this week? You know what I mean? It is just gonna tick tock next block, come back in four years time, see what it's done. You know? And you will quickly yep. come to realise that you don't want to sell it after that four years. You know what I mean? Because it's the best money you can you can you can hold.
1: This this recency bias thing is so port- important to hit on while we're talking about all coins. Because if you look at coin market cap, top 10 coins, Bitcoin's always at the top, that bottom nine is, is on a constant churn. Yep. And you're going to find some crypto bro out there every single year that's going to point you to some obscure coin and say, look at how this thing is done. It's outperformed Bitcoin. If I was to move that to say the equity realm, Imagine saying that like Apple or Google are bad equities to have owned for the last 20 years, because every two years you find the best performing small cap stock on the planet and compare it to their performance over that two-year time frame. Makes absolutely no sense. Nobody can predict the future and win the lottery like this over time. And so yeah, when you when you stack these altcoins up against Bitcoin, they tremendously underperform on a long-term time frame. And yeah, zeroing in, spending your time, energy intellectual capital on understanding Bitcoin first I think is one of the things I want to leave the listener with. Fidelity published an awesome piece called Bitcoin First. And and basically the takeaway was study Bitcoin first. And for me and the vast majority of people that look into this stuff seriously, in my opinion, they find that Bitcoin is by far the most immutable, saleable and liquid, decentralized and anti-fragile protocol out there. And for that reason, If you're interested in value accrual and something going up in price over time as a good investment, it's hard to pick anything else that can compete. Yes, there are some good ideas out there. Some of these other crypto protocols have some interesting ideas, but you can build the coolest money application and the sexiest UX in the world on top of monopoly money and nobody's going to give a shit. And this is part of the reason. Back to the stack, the protocol stack and the open source nature of Bitcoin, I think it was David Bailey said recently. The rest of this crypto space really is the test net for Bitcoin. As time goes on, I think we're going to see a lot of those applications get gobbled up by the real gorilla. I feel like we covered <laughs> this well, man. I, I, I think we hit. Uh, I think we hit a lot here. Who wants to? Anybody else got any other chum they want to throw in the water before we hit the red button?
3: The only other thing I had on my list, which is probably worth just highlighting as well, is the way that these old coins. it's kind of off topic, but uh, well, not, not off topic, but coming from sort of left of field, is the way that these um, tokens are uh, advertised to you. So most of these tokens come through YouTube clips. And if you dig in the back end, like BitBoy Crypto is probably the classic example. He charges something like $50,000 in order for you, him to mention your token on one of his videos right and 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 that's basically (laughs) what they're using is you as liquidity you degen guys like watching youtube clips around what's the next thing to pump and it's like the only way you're going to shift that needle is if you're like first to get in and again, it's just short time preference stuff and even like even sophisticated um financial education platforms like real vision real vision was phenomenal i learned so much from real vision right but then Real Vision come out with this new offering a few years ago called Real Vision Crypto, where they're starting to like really understand this, this sort of stuff. And the, the number one question you need to ask yourself is, what am I paying for this education? <laughs> uh, Real Vision Crypto is free. It's a massive, massive production. Like it's not like us bungees sitting on a zero cost platform you know, to talk smack and upload it ourselves on a podcast. That's, that's a different thing. They are a very sophisticated um, video production uh, system and it's cost zero. Therefore, somebody is paying those bills. Somebody is mm-hmm. paying to get on and shill their coin. Exactly. And the biggest, um, one of the, the ones that come to mind was this scammy coin called internet computer protocol, ICP. And,
2: I remember that one.
3: And this guy was on real vision with Ralph Pal and, Talking up the next, you know, this this thing's going to change the way that we look at computers across the internet protocol, blah 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 blah. Literally, the next like week after that aired on Real Vision, it dumped and it dumped hard. And like many argue, it was basically the the founders dumping their bags into into that Real Vision community. It amazes
2: me. It amazes me that these platforms exist. I mean, that they keep proliferating because Real Vision. Yep. I just saw something. that I don't know if they sent me an email that I signed up for years ago or something, but. They're pivoting into something else now. Who knows? It's probably AI AR, or something. Yeah, it's AI tokens. That's the yeah, Oh, of course it is. Yeah. I'm just saying, yeah. like, these people are just Bitboy's a perfect example. Dan and I saw him in Miami. We actually joked about beating the shit out of him just to get some, like, just for fun. Like, <laughs> go like to, what, go jail, how?
1: Go to jail, lose our careers, but blue collar Bitcoin would blow up. Good dude. with the
2: PRB. Like, yeah, we got arrested, but we beat the shit out of Bitboy. <laughs> It's hard to take, you can't take these people serious after you've seen what they do. You've seen behind the curtain, like what a bunch of nonsense this stuff is. These are just straight Ponzi schemes that they get paid serious money to shill to people. The crypto playbook is basically create a sense of urgency. Pitching, you know, pitch it as the next big thing, get celebrity endorsements, BitBoy, whoever. And then, you know, it takes retail a couple of burns before they realize they got fucked. And this cycle just repeats itself. But yeah. I think at this point, with the SEC walking, you know, stepping in and and putting the brakes on and throwing some people, you know, putting some lawsuits on these clowns and stopping the VCs from continuing this nonsense, we're gonna finally get to the the brass tax on this stuff, which is it's almost all bullshit. Yeah, and why do we care? Why do we care? It's because it
1: hits home for us. I think a summary point for me is that. I really feel like bitcoin is profoundly empowering for average folks, the middle class and below, and I think crypto is incredibly disempowering for average folks, wage earners, middle class and below. I think I think that that, that is the essence of why they are polar opposite. And there are a lot of people we can make fun of crypto bros all we want, but a lot of these crypto bros are real people with families and incomes and not a ton of money to lose because the treadmill is speeding up. And that's true of the average, in our shoes, career firefighter. Money's getting tighter. It's harder to carve out that secure financial position in the future. And people should not be patsies at the table. We
2: don't want regular folks to be exit liquidity. That is why we care. Yeah. That's why we get. from the perspective I think that we take Dan, um, a couple of the guys that were crypto bros at our agency have been real quiet for a for a prolonged period of time, so i think I think it's finally landed in their minds that like they were just dead wrong. yeah, this is why we keep at it though, if you're
1: a Bitcoiner because a lot of those people to draw the, the religious parallels again, their hearts are softened over time <laughs> to, uh, as as they are like why are Josh and Dan still talking about Bitcoin every week? I thought yeah. this whole crypto thing was dead. And then two, three years later, they come back and go, oh, this this whole Bitcoin thing is different. And there there is one discovery here. And I think that, that sort of narrative and progression is indicative of a lot of people's journey into and out of crypto.
3: As each of these big shakeups happen, we only get louder, right? The crypto bros get quieter and we get louder. And there's a reason for that, you know? and, and yep. just, to, just to echo your point like this is what we're doing this is why we're doing this every month Is the wage earners you're our brethren you're our brothers our sisters you know our mothers fathers we care and it's getting harder and harder and harder and you're going to lean into you're going to want to you're going to be like forcing the desperation where you want to gamble you, you, you know your degen nature will shake out because it's getting so hard to navigate and we're just trying to tell you put the brakes on you don't actually need to just understand this thing take a long-time preference um, approach to this and you'll be fine in the long run. Like this is, this is ultimately why we show up every month is just to try and break these things down. Most of this stuff is gambling. It's going to appeal to your desperation side of needing to to get ahead, but you don't need to.
0: Unless you want to get fucked by the double-headed black member that is crypto, I'd probably stick to Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: the the double-headed black mamba i'm just i've got a lot of cartoons dancing through my head at the moment uh, it is a
1: harsh ass reaming i mean i i've been through a a harsh crypto ass reaming and it's not fun and as someone said in the beginning you hear the success stories but most people have a a
2: really sore asshole when they get done with crypto they sure do dan i think we know what the title for this one's going to be double-headed black mamba (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> basic seven the double-headed black mama wow this kind of like went off the rails here a little bit like how did they get to the black mama, double-headed weird i don't know i'll listen to it anyway
3: it always always ends up on coke yeah, yeah, it, it does do. only yeah, beautiful does. cocks though <laughs> yeah.
1: yep thank yep. you guys as always uh we got a couple more of these and can't wait
0: da. Cheers. that was guys. awesome thanks a lot guys honestly I, I think this is such i think it's most important talk it may not necessarily be the most technically interesting, but it's one of those ones that we all go through this and there's no judgment going into the altcoin space. It's more just, hopefully we can assist you on your way to look at this stuff objectively and to be able to actually question what it is you're investing in. And as Daz mentioned earlier, like if you are investing in any of this stuff, just ask yourself, what is the point of this token? Like, is there actually a benefit to this token? Because most of the time there won't be.
1: Avoid the double-headed Black Mamba. It's like glass and sand mm, when it yeah. goes in. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell <it>. you that. <laughs> there's no loop on
3: it all. See you guys. Love you. Take care.
1: That does it for this one, folks. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Hope you all learned something. A reminder that this entire series, parts one through six that came before this conversation, as well as future chats in the series, will be linked down in the notes. If you do prefer video of these conversations, check out Blue Collar Bitcoin on YouTube. And if you aren't streaming podcasts on lightning network enabled apps, you should be the podcast app we use is fountain. You can earn free Bitcoin while listening and send us to boost or create clips and let us know what you thought about episodes until next week. I encourage each of you learn something and stretch your mind every single day you have left on this earth. Take care.